Hello, everyone. I'm Cheryl Musial, and welcome to My Care Advisors. Did you know that suicide is one of the leading causes of death in the U.S.? It affects men and women of all ages. Older adults are especially vulnerable due to factors that range from grief over the passing of loved ones to chronic illnesses and much more. In fact, in 2020, suicide rates were highest among adults aged 85 years or older. Understanding the causes and risk factors of suicide can make a great difference in saving lives. In this episode, Suicide Prevention in Older Adults, we are joined by mental health professional, Lisa Rector. Well, welcome, Lisa. It's such a pleasure to speak with you today, especially on this important topic. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm happy to be here to talk with you. Lisa, please share a few common myths about suicide, especially when thinking about older adults. So there's a handful of myths. Some people give more or less. I'll just go over four. So the first is that suicide affects only those people who have a mental illness, but that's absolutely not true. Anyone at any age can have a suicidal crisis, young or old, any point in their life. Second is once someone is suicidal, they are always suicidal. That's also not true. Suicide crises are usually very short term. Um, Within 24 to 72 hours, they have typically resolved and people can in that space get the help that they need. Uh, Third is that most suicides happen without warning. That's also not always true occasionally, but oftentimes there are warning signs that something is going on and you have room to ask a person, I'm concerned about you. Are you thinking about killing yourself? The fourth is that talking to somebody about their suicidal feelings will actually cause them to act upon them. I left this one for last because it's the most key thing that we talk about in suicide prevention, that talking with somebody does not cause them to then go on to die by suicide at all. It gives them an opportunity to get those feelings out to change their mind around the thoughts of suicide and to have time to seek help. Thank you, Lisa, for clarifying these myths. As we dive a bit more into the topic, could you please share some other facts about suicide in older adults? While older adults are at higher risk for suicide, there's not a lot of research around this age group. So some of these will be specific for any age group. One is that women attempt suicide more often than men, but because they usually use much more lethal means, men die by suicide more often than women. However, as of 2020 in the United States, firearm now has become the leading means for suicide for women for the first time. So that is a statistic that we're watching closely because we expect that will have an impact and change that. Specific to the older adults, there was a significant significant increase in suicide for men over the age of 75 between 2008 and 2020. Um, Obviously, with that lack of research, we need to do more so that we can understand these dynamics. 
So as we go into the topic of risks, can you please describe some more important risk factors for suicide, especially for older adults? So I want to put it in terms of a theory that one of our leading researchers um, in the United States on suicide has. Uh, his name is Thomas Joyner. He wrote a book called Why People Die by Suicide. It's quite fascinating. And if anybody is interested in the topic, I highly recommend it. So his theory is that there are three key components that go into someone dying by suicide. One is that they have a feeling of perceived burdensomeness. Two is that they have a feeling of thwarted belongingness. Three is that they've acquired the ability to lethally self-injure. So I'll explain how this comes into play for older adults as I see it. So that thwarted belongingness, a lot of times our older adults, I know I can remember my grandmother talking about when she lived in a senior building, that people were dying all the time. So they actually lose their peer group on a regular basis. And then that can lead to that, not having that group of people to belong with and to. As far as the perceived burdensomeness goes, we already know that that is an issue for a lot of seniors. They feel like they're a burden because they may not have the same financial resources or they have health issues. And that's a part of conversation that would not be familiar, you know, be unfamiliar, I'm sorry, in families oftentimes with older folks. The third piece I think is interesting that he describes people over their lifetimes acquire the ability to lethally self-injure when they engage in high-risk behaviors of any kind, like substance use or alcohol use or sometimes actual self-injury, which is a separate behavior from suicide, where people use a cutting behavior or burning, some types of things like that to reduce feelings of anxiety and to cope with the situation. It's it's more what we would call a, a negative coping skill. So over time, and of course, if somebody lives to be older, they've acquired more of those episodes of ability to lethally self-injure. So then potentially that could lead to peace that we know, which is that older adults will plan a suicide and not as often be rescued in their suicide and use a more lethal means. Some other general risk factors, back to that lethal means, does a person have access to highly lethal means, which in our country means over 50% of the suicides in this country are by guns. And the flip of that, most deaths by gunfire are suicides. So that lethal means piece is key. So that's one of the things that we ask. We'll talk about that more later. Do you have access to a gun? Then are those things like, do they have a history of a mental illness? Do they have a history of a suicide attempt? Do they have a history of substance use? These other pieces, behavior changes, sleep changes, appetite changes that we look at with every age group. Thank you, Lisa, for this insightful information. I was wondering also, are there health conditions and other medical conditions that caregivers, older adults, practitioners should really be on the lookout for? There are. 
specifically for the older adults, they're often um, at risk for a UTI, a urinary tract infection. And those can come with behavior changes, agitation. And so that puts people then at more risk in general, back to that um, overall health picture and that distorted thought process. So I would consider that to be specific for the older adult population, something to look at. And we actually saw that when I worked in the emergency room, seniors would come in and they would have a UTI. And once that resolved, then the situation in general, the behavior mood change resolved. Great information. That's really something for us all to look out for. So let's dive a little bit deeper into understanding and creating more of that awareness, especially when thinking about older adults and the warning signs of suicide and what caregivers should really watch out for. So some key questions to think about are, is the person talking about death? Is that a change for them? Are they talking about wanting to die? Are they talking about wishing they could go to sleep and never wake up? Are they actively searching for ways to die by suicide? By that, I mean, have they bought a gun when they didn't previously have one? Have they been hoarding their medications and suddenly you see that there are pill bottles stored where they shouldn't be? They have, you know, kept them instead of taking them. Have there been um, some of those changes that we talked about before? any cognitive changes, any mood changes, sleep and appetite changes, health changes overall. And those are questions that if somebody wants to, they, you know, they can look out for those things if they're concerned about somebody and just kind of keep an eye on those things in general. Uh, thank you, Lisa, for these tips. And on a continued path of awareness and prevention, how can caregivers and others support older adults especially if they're having those suicidal thoughts. So the most important thing, like I said earlier, is to know that it's okay to talk to somebody. If you have a concern that someone is having suicidal thoughts, it's absolutely okay and recommended that you use that phrase, actually. I'm concerned about you, and I'm concerned you may be having suicidal thoughts. Are you thinking of killing yourself? That will not cause anybody to go on to die by suicide out of general conversation. Again, it it allows that space for them to release those feelings, to change an opportunity to change their mind. You know, like while we hear ourselves talk, we can start to change our minds about what's going on and give that space to have somebody help them get the help that they need. What we don't want to do is inadvertently cause somebody to feel worse and more shut off. So it's important that we use that simple phrasing because we know that it does not lead to harm. We don't want to say things like, you're not thinking about killing yourself, are you? Or you wouldn't do something stupid, would you? Because nobody wants to, you know, admit that anything is seen as stupid by somebody else that they're about to do, especially not something as concerning as this. And so We want somebody to open up rather than shut down because they felt belittled or not understood. Oh, it's so important to demystify those myths. Thank you, Lisa. And the other thing that you mentioned was taking action. 
So what steps should someone take if they believe their loved one is considering suicide? So like we talked about, like, like with this interview, we take a deep breath because we're going to then be having a conversation that's actually life and death, literally life and death. So you want to do a few important things. First of all, ask if they've already done something to initiate a suicide attempt. That's critical because that guides your next step. If they've done something to initiate a suicide attempt, then you need to get them rescued. So that's a call to 911 so that they can get the medical attention that they need. If they have not already started a suicide attempt, then you're going to have a conversation. You're going to do a lot of active listening and non-judgmental conversation. And there is a program that I very much like. It's a gatekeeper suicide prevention training. It's called QPR. They actually do have a section for caregivers of seniors that helps to train them on these specific issues. The Q in QPR stands for questions. So we're going to ask a lot of open-ended questions so we can get a lot of information. The P is for persuade. So we're going to, through our non-judgmental conversation, all of this information that we're gathering, persuade them to get the help that they need, to not leave it alone, act like it's not important. And speaking of alone, we definitively never want to leave a suicidal person alone not on the phone, not in person. If we feel not up to the task of having this conversation, we can absolutely pull in professionals through our crisis lines, which we'll talk about in a little bit. R stands for refer, and that is the piece where we make those referrals to either somebody that's a known part of someone's treatment team, like a doctor or a therapist, or we actually get them connected to the emergency mental health system through an emergency room or through a mobile crisis team, depending on what is going on in each person's community. So Lisa, I just wanted to go back and and you mentioned if someone has already started or made an attempted suicide, what they should do. Call 911. It's what I would do. And I've been working in suicide prevention for a very long time. We do not want to take matters into our own hands. Like we want somebody to get immediate medical attention. Well, thank you for sharing those steps and also you know, taking action so quickly to get that immediate help and support that that person needs. So talking about support, I understand there is a new national suicide prevention hotline. Can you share more information about this? Just a couple of weeks ago in the middle of July, Um, 988 went live across our country. It's been a several year process. That shortened number is easier for people to remember. It replaces the former 800 number, which is 800-273-8255. A lot of people know that as the national lifeline. So now instead of dialing all those numbers, you can dial 988. It gets to the same place. And then they reach out through their network across the country of hundreds of crisis lines to connect people to the help that they need. Um, It functions in a lot of different ways. You can use it in an immediate uh, crisis situation to help somebody get help. You can use it for yourself. You can use it for somebody else. If you're concerned, but you don't exactly know how to have that conversation, like we said before, you can contact them 
and they will do a call out to somebody to check on them. They have a vast, you know, access to resources. It's just a it's just a wonderful service in our country. The 800 number is still functioning. If somebody can't remember like 988, they want to have that 800 number or even 988 programmed into their phone. So when I talk to patients, I tell them there's three reasons why it's important to have access to that number. First of all, is if we need it. If we're in crisis, we need that number right away. Second of all, is if we need it for somebody else. If we're talking to somebody else and we need some guidance through that conversation, we can use that that way. The other more not obvious way is if it's in our phone and somebody else doesn't know that number, we can let them know like, it's in my phone. Can you help me help myself? So for somebody else to help us if we need. Mm, That's so important. Thank you for sharing that information on the hotline and definitely save it in our phones. Well, I want to go back quickly and have you expand upon the QPR and any other helpful resources for our listeners to learn more about suicide prevention. Like I said, QPR has a training segment just for people who work with seniors. So I think that for this population, it's um, definitely a training to seek out. And under any circumstances, if you work home health or hospice, senior buildings, or anywhere with the seniors, get that training and ask your administrators to get that training for you. Another avenue is the Suicide Prevention Resource Center. They are the suicide-specific program within our greater substance abuse and mental health service administration of our government, which some people know as SAMHSA. And they have a lot of general suicide prevention information. Also, they have links to the SAMHSA toolkits that are specific for working with the senior population. A lot of great information. Last but not least, our local community mental health agencies across the country are great resources for not just the crisis lines that they oftentimes have embedded in their services, but also If you have lost somebody to suicide, you need that extra support for yourself. And so they have that information available about the suicide survivor support groups. The American Association of Suicidology, all good resources. I encourage anybody if that's, if it's really like something that you're interested in from your heart, it's wonderful to volunteer for some of these local groups or to go to a survivor's walk or a suicide prevention walk. Um, those things aren't necessary. You can just access the the trainings if you work with this population too. Um, but the more that you know, the more that you can help somebody who is in that crisis that you may encounter. Such important information. Thank you, Lisa, especially not only for healthcare professionals, but also for families and caregivers. Absolutely. Thank you, Lisa, for joining us today and just sharing your insight on this important topic with our listeners about suicide prevention. its It's been so insightful. My pleasure. I'm glad to do it. Listeners, as Lisa mentioned, if you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health, suicide, or substance use crisis, reach out 24-7 to the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline by dialing or texting 988. To view resources, show notes, and access more MyCare Advisors episodes, visit MyCareAdvisors.com. 
You can also subscribe and listen to our podcast on your favorite app. I leave you with this thought. When you feel like giving up, just remember the reason why you held on for so long. Choose to be inspired to live the best life every day. Thank you for listening. We are grateful to be your guide.